Episode 30 God of Second Chances Part 2 Have you ever done something so terrible, so heinous, so despicable that every once in a while those memories come flooding back to your mind? Do you live with regret of some sins you committed long ago but resurface now and again and often without warning? I recently watched an incredibly interesting TED talk and among other things this psychologist mentioned that we are capable of holding on to memories in our subconscious almost like muscle memory and sometimes these memories cause us to behave in certain manners on the exact anniversary of when an accident occurred in other words you may have witnessed a traumatic event that caused you great distress and on the anniversary of that event after some time maybe even years have gone by you may randomly have a mental breakdown without realizing the root cause when i look back at my own life there are some memories i wish to forget and indeed there have been a time when a traumatic anniversary had caught up with me and i relived my traumatic experience greetings and welcome to cfd as we continue unraveling world affairs through biblical lenses and as we seek to know who god is and what it means to be a christian i am humbled that you made the time to be here you could be listening at the thousands upon thousands of interesting and otherwise pods but you chose to be here with us and i appreciate that It's hard to imagine that we're now on episode 30 of this series and everything continues to unfold in a manner we're now starting to understand. The Bible as we're coming to understand was written by many authors over thousands of years apart in different regions during different kingdoms and for different purposes. These authors were all different and unique from each other just as you and I are. The only commonalities that they all shared were that they were humans and that they had faith in God. They were regular folks from all walks of life and most of their stories are written in such a manner that both their strengths and their weaknesses are plainly laid out for all to see throughout the generations. It is as if God in his wisdom knew that if left to write their own narratives as individuals and even as nations everyone would choose to write their stories in a favorable way leaving all the embarrassing and awful character flaws out a conqueror who writes their biography leaves leaves out any details of their shortcomings just as someone who commissions a por- a portrait or monument to be erected on their behalf would leave out or omit their flaws Winston Churchill has been quoted to have said history will be kind to me as I intend to write it. The reality in our nature as we observe it shows that in the great beauty we find everywhere we look in our world there is also much ugliness leading to sickness, death and decay. We know we love and appreciate beauty while abhorring all that is evil and bad and yet The reality of both of these character flaws, good and evil, are deeply within each of us. In our best attempts to acquire and maintain only what is good, we all find failure at some point. 
The first step of Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, is the admittance that the alcoholic is powerless over alcohol, that their lives had become unmanageable. Similarly, this is the first step we need to take in our own lives, admit that we're powerless over sin and that sin makes our lives unmanageable. Only then could we start seeking the solutions needed before we self-destruct in our sin as an active alcoholic who finally performs a dangerous action while under the influence and gets themselves killed or worse still, get others killed in the process. We can rely on the Bible not to on not, not only to adequately prescribe the source and root of all sins, but also provide the, the antidote and cure. I really appreciate the fact that people mentioned in the Bible also show up with all their shortcomings. It shows that just as they were, I am not unique in my struggles, and since God chose to use them in spite of their weaknesses, maybe he will also use me in spite of mine. He is my father, just as he was their father, and is your father. God has no favorites. In our story thus far, we've read of creation of all, including Adam and Eve, along with the responsibilities given to both of our ancestral parents. We've read that after he had created everything, God declared everything to be very good, and then chose a day of rest on Shabbat, the seventh day, just as I am now, as I pen these words down. God then gave a single warning to our parents not to eat of the forbidden fruit, as the moment they disobeyed this command, all creation would be affected and would be exposed to the consequences of the sin, which is disobedience to God's command. Adam and Eve were not aware of all the consequences of their disobedience, just as an alcoholic who decides to drink and drive may not know of the families that would impact were they to cause a car accident that claims the lives of innocent people and all those they impact. One decision, one choice, one disobedience is all that it takes to have a lifetime of consequences for us and for those we love and are around us. Again, I wish that there was another way of dealing with creation, but God in his all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-loving wisdom knew that this was the only way. Again, we have mentioned that God may have created other worlds in other dimensions, but we have no knowledge of that at the moment. We wish to only follow where God's word leads us. I believe that you would guess that God was pretty upset and maybe more disappointed than anything else. When you warn someone of some future danger or consequences for their actions and then watch them disobey you, it is heartbreaking, especially if you love that person. How much more a God who knows the beginning and the end? How much more a God that deeply understands every aspect of the consequences, not because he created the consequences, but rather his absence have major repercussions? Yes, God created all the laws of nature, and since he is all-powerful, he can manipulate or operate outside of them. In other words, when God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the forbidden fruit, he knew that the laws of nature that he set forth 
would be put into motion and all creation in this dimension would be negatively impacted in the worst ways possible. Could God have created a world where the laws of nature have no effect? Someone may ask. So, like a world where, where for example, gravity doesn't exist or E equals MC squared stands for nothing? Well, in some ways he did, but the laws of nature are what makes life here on Earth possible. In space, for example, the atmosphere is very hostile towards life as we know it. As in, none of us can survive outside our big blue planet without all the inventions we have come up with. From the smallest life forms to the greatest, we 100% depend on the laws of nature for our existence. In the world before Adam and Eve's disobedience, we see a perfect world with everything being created in a state of being very good, as it is written. We've talked much about what the phrase very good means, and it really just means that. Everything was perfect before sin entered the world. The laws of nature supported every kind of life in a perfectly choreographed dance the Holy Spirit had accomplished through the spoken word of God. We could even conclude that the being that truly knows like intimately knows about everything to do with our created world, as it is written, is God's own Holy Spirit. And this is the reason I constantly ask for guidance from him in order to understand God's word. The Spirit of God was the one hovering over the formless mass that was earth which was covered in darkness before God said, Let there be light on the very first day in the beginning. We are told that there are other beings before Adam and Eve were created. As God said, let us make man in our image. The ass implies that there was more than just God. At this point though, where is the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the fallen angel? I'm not sure. When God inspected everything he had created and declared it very good, I don't know where the destroyer was and thus cannot speculate at this current time. I however know that at some point, not sure after how long, he came into the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent and then went on to tempt Eve who ate of the forbidden fruit that would open her eyes to understanding good from bad, evil from right, right and wrong. He used the very words of God but misquoted and misinterpreted intentionally what God had warned, therefore tempting her through a lust for that which was forbidden, and she took it and also gave it to her husband who was with her. When I take a critical and honest look at my own life, the reality of how plausible this scenario is overwhelms my senses. Deep within me, I am in a constant battle and have been since knowing or realizing right from wrong, the battle to make the right choices or the, the wrong choices. The pull towards making the wrong choices, according to what my body experiences as feeling good, is actually stronger than the pull to make the right choices, which do not always uh, carry good feelings. Because I resolved many years ago to take God at his word, and as challenging as it is at times to be in complete agreement with what is written, even when I do not understand it, I allowed myself to feel bad 
when I was doing something that was contrary to the Bible or just didn't feel right within me. I allowed the scriptures to be my true north and did not allow myself excuses to doing wrong, which obviously leads to habitization and a life of mostly wrong choices according to what feels good to the body. This battle between making right or wrong choices is made even more complicated when the entire world around you tells you that what is wrong is actually right and that what is right is indeed wrong. This reality is further complicated when the men and women you identify as being godly are found out to be cult leaders or worse. How can anyone ever know what is truth even as we consider that? Even though the word of God was an inspiration from God himself, it was man that wrote it? How could we possibly trust those men when we see the flaws in all men? Believe me, these and many other questions continue to fill up my mind. The deeper I seek to know who God is, as well as understand what it means to be a Christian. How can we guard ourselves from doing which we know is evil? I submit to you, it is by reading the word of God as it is written and then asking God to reveal himself to you by his Holy Spirit so you may be able to discern which is truth and what is the twisted understanding that the devil has perfected and continues to peddle as truth to anyone and everyone, Christians or not. The fact that the devil or deceiver used God's own words to deceive Eve should not be taken lightly. The only way to be completely guarded from his deception is to not only read the Bible extensively for yourself, but also ask and ask and ask that God fills you with his Holy Spirit so you may be completely protected. The infilling of God's Holy Spirit is a process. A process that demands our denial of self-desires to things that look good in our eyes and may even feel good but carry much consequences. There are many, many practical examples that I could use here, but I encourage you to think of your own journey through this life, no matter what stage you're at, and recall things that you did that looked and even felt good but then carried heavy, heavy consequences. I am sure you will find many, just as I do in my own life, and just as we will see from what is written. This battle between good and evil, right and wrong, is a constant theme we see playing out within each of us, as well as in all movies, social media news trends, and so on and so forth. At the end of everything that we experience in our life, the battle between good and evil is the main theme. How peculiar that Satan convinced Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit through twisted logic. Does this reality also play out in your life? Could you think of some wrong thing that you do that you know is wrong but looks also good? And further, it would make you feel so good? How is that any different than what is going on with Eve and Adam here? The deceiver actually brought with him reason. Does this word reason resonate with you? How else do you hear this word being commonly used and peddled as truth and enlightening? Anyone ever challenged your faith saying it is not reasonable for you to believe in God? Ladies and gentlemen, the devil was created 
as an angel, an, an eternal being. He was also present since at least the beginning, but since we do not know at what point God created his angels, we cannot go any further than the beginning. There is some knowledge that Lucifer had that Adam and Eve did not, and this gray area is where the enemy played Adam and Eve. Satan knew that indeed God knows right from wrong, and thus twisted that knowledge to suggest that God was lying to them regarding death as a consequence, and enhanced the fact that they would be like God, knowing both good and evil. Some good that came out of that. We're all very aware of the, of the con artists that are all around us, coming up with ever more clever innovations in order to exploit us. Not so long ago, a close friend of the family, a woman I even call mom, fell victim to one of these corn artists, just like so many others have. Someone called her over the phone, and having just enough information about her, convinced her that all her banking accounts had been compromised, and that she would lose all her money if she did not follow the directions provided to her. She was told to go into her bank accounts, withdraw all her monies from a teller, then take it all to another bank where she would deposit it into the account the con artists provided. So she did it. She went to the bank, withdrew all her cash, and boarded a TTC, that's a Toronto Transit Commission bus for those who are not uh, familiar with Canada, and headed towards the bank where she was to deposit all her money, savings, checkings and all. While on the bus, clearly distraught regarding her ordeal, mom suddenly sobbed and so a complete stranger approached her and asked her if anything was the matter. She went on to explain everything that had happened to her and this is when her angel in human form told her that she was being scammed and not to follow those instructions but to proceed to call the, uh, the police and apprehend this corn artist. Have you ever fallen prey to one of these evildoers? Or maybe you're one of them. And so you can explain to us how that deception feels like once you get away with it. Is it thrilling to get away with some wrong? Mass murderers have been quoted as saying they get a rush and some even orgasm as they strangle a person to death or as they watch them die. This is the complete opposite of how God is, as we are told that God rejoiced in all that he had created. So therefore, it is a different being that rejoices in the chaos of lies and death and deception and decay and destruction. Maybe the polar opposite world that exists without God is where Satan thrives and where all evil is found. If God is all good, then the devil is all evil. If nothing wrong can be found with God, then everything wrong can be found with the devil. If life is found in God, then death is found in the devil. Does this mean that God and the devil are equals? It would seem as such, since there appears to be some form of yin-yang correlation between good and bad, but this is not correct. The devil is still a created being, and even though he is allowed a reign of terror, just like all the mad infamous men we now know about and all throughout our history, their days are numbered. He who created all life also has the power to destroy it. 
Have you ever considered the fact that maybe God uses the devil for his own purposes? I mean, everything was created with and for a purpose, and this includes all heavenly hosts and the angels. God knew all that would happen before a single event happened, and he allowed it. When Adam and Eve were sent on the earth, everything on the planet was perfect, well-balanced, and able to support this perfect life for all eternity. God, in his all-encompassing wisdom, knew of the future and wanted to create a people for himself who would choose freely to spend eternity with him. He could have made humans with pre-programmed consciousness, just as animals simply follow their instincts within the confines of the laws of nature. However, this is not how he intended to live with these species he had made in his own image. He wanted a real, honest, transparent relationship with his beings, even though he knew they would fail him over and over and over again, starting with Adam and Eve. There are some who ask, if he knew the kind of evil that would exist in this world, why allow it to happen? Why let evil have a free reign? Well, I have asked this question many times, and then I posed a question. If you had met Hitler as a newborn baby, but had 100% proof by some means that he would do what he did, would you kill him then or allow him to grow up and do what he did? I believe this question yields two kinds of people. The ones that would not hesitate to kill him, knowing that he would personally be responsible for the pain, suffering, and death of millions. Otherwise, would object towards the killing of an innocent baby. So where do you stand? You can definitely make a strong case for either decision. And in fact, you may find yourself going back and forth between them as you weigh for yourself the pros and cons. One thing is for sure. God allowed him to live, just like just like he created and allowed Lucifer and all and also you and I. The mind of God is not easily understood by the ones he created, but I'm thankful to him that through his word he has revealed himself to us so we may know him as well as understand what it means to be a Christian. Adam and Eve made a huge error in judgment when they decided to disobey a great direct order from their maker God, just as the devil did when he decided to rebel and embrace darkness. So with our free will, we are free moral agents to do with that will as we please, but it comes with consequences. If God wanted us to be all the same and never have the option of rebelling, then that's exactly how he would have made us. To him who is eternal, that would not be a very good existence. At some point before time, God in all his wisdom decided to create all that we see and also everything that we do not see. At some point, he imagined and then envisioned all history. Maybe as an engineer visualizes a complex project with many different aspects and variables, calculating every single outcome in order to create a masterpiece. History unfolded in God's mind before a single moment in time existed. He thought about every aspect and complexity of life, every single inhabitant on our planet to ever exist, 
every blade of grass as well as every drop of water. He thought about every individual person to ever exist along with who they would become. He thought of Lucifer, the Archangel, Michael, Gabriel and the rest of the heavenly hosts. He thought about Adam and Eve along with the fall and sin entering his creation. God thought about every individual child that gets aborted due to our choices. He thought about every aspect of your life and mine. God thought and imagined his world before the earth was a formless and uh, a formless mass, sorry, cloaked in darkness. There is not one single event that has come to pass or that will ever come to pass that God did not think about and then created it all. Before you ask out loud, God, why did you do this or let this happen? Take a moment to realize everything I just said a moment ago because it is all true. You must then approach God with honor or actually fear and trembling because of how powerful He is. If on earth we approach our leaders in reverence, uh, how much more God? I really do wish that Adam and Eve had the fear of God in them. Then maybe how we view the world in its fallen state will be non-existent and maybe just in our imaginations. We really ought to view our Father God as the greatest King, the Lord of Lords, Almighty One, whose very nature is love. Before diving into Adam's consequences, I would like to take a moment to explain a little bit about what we have learned regarding the character of God. First, God is all-powerful. How much power does it take to mention the creation of stars as a side note, as it is written? He made the stars also, as if to imply that it was no big deal. We spoke a little bit about stars near the beginning of this series. However, I must now ask again, is there anything in all created world that is as marvelous as a star? Stars are some of the most wondrous, most mysterious, the most beautiful created beings amongst all creation. In another lifetime, I would have wanted to study astronomy as I am just humbled and fascinated by the power contained in each one of these countless stars. As powerful as they are, how much power, how much more powerful is the one who created them? More powerful than we can ever comprehend. I beg you to always be careful what you say about God. You're better off remaining silent than end up facing the all-righteous and perfect judge to give an account of foolish words you let escape your mind. God is perfect, and therefore everyone and everything around him must be perfect. As the earther of life, this also means that without him, there is no life. We will continue to understand the God of power the more we read his word. And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit I told you I told you not to eat, I've placed a curse on the ground. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. All your life you will sweat to produce food until your dying day. 
then you will return to the ground from which you came. For you were made from dust, and to the dust you will return. Every single married man would identify with this reality at one point or another. There is much to unpack from this curse and the reality of every man's existence in light of this revelation. First, let me mention here that the statements we are reading in scriptures cannot be written for one group of people, as these are universal truths. For example, someone may not mention here, Oh, I believe that the scriptures are only written for the Jewish people because thus far there is no such a people. We only have two humans, Adam and Eve, along with the serpent who is, who is possessed by a fallen angelic being and there are also heavenly hosts. This is not the story of one people, rather a story of humanity from the micro individuals to the macros the nations and the world. Secondly, we cannot equate the power of God to the one who convinced Adam and Eve to do the wrong thing, just as we cannot say that a knife has the power to stab and kill. God is creator of all, he is all-knowing, he is all-loving, all-present and is self-sustaining. All else is mere creation that must oblige to his every command. But Sam, someone may ask, then how can God blame Adam and Eve for disobeying when he knew that they would be tempted and further still knew that they would fall and fail? Again, it is of utmost importance that we gain a strong understanding on the surface level of what is written in the biblical text before we dig deeper and misinterpret what God intended to be simple enough for all his creation regardless of every identity to understand. The relationship we read regarding Adam and God is not one of coercion, rather of great love and trust from God's perspective. After he had created everything in the world and then made it perfectly balanced, after he had looked at all he had created and then declared it is very good or it is excellent, only then did he, out of love and wanting an object of his love, did God finally create Adam. Furthermore, finding no suitable mate for Adam in all else he had created, God fashioned Eve according to the genetic makeup of Adam. God used to converse with Adam, we are told, as friends do. In a super simple way, this relationship could be compared to the relationship between a parent and their baby. God did not make an impossible demand to Adam. Adam was intelligent enough to know better. Even as they were being tempted to disobey, Adam and Eve knew at the back of their minds that what they were about to do was not right. Before they made the choice to disobey, the free will given to them made them aware of the fact that they ought to be obedient to what they had been warned about. God knew of the potential laying inside each of them as he had created them to be free moral agents. The reason there was a tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil was indeed to expose the depths of their rebellious hearts. Our rebellious hearts. I'm not sure about you, but over the years I've not I have met many men who continue to live out these curses every single day of their lives until their dying day, starting with my own father. At his time of death, 
My father worked three different jobs and at times he would leave one full-time day job and go straight to his other full-time overnight shift job and then following morning report to his day job once again, day in, day out for many years. I watched as he would sometimes come home completely exhausted and then confirm how his body language said by the actual words, son, I am tired. I watched as a good friend with a special needs son work as a roofer from dusk until dawn each day for six, uh, for, for six, sometimes seven days a week in order to provide for his family. I've watched guys my age work for a little more than minimum wage, grueling shifts at Boston Pizza and other places. Guys in developing countries work like slaves for pennies a day just to make ends meet. I could recount many construction workers, blue-collar employees, mechanics, lawyers, doctors, educators, etc., etc., who most of their lives are spent working and working very hard. The consequences of Adam's disobedience most certainly carry through in each of our lives, and in men and women alike. Nowadays, women are filling many of our workspaces, and because of their God-given abilities, they are surpassing men's pursuit of education and now fill many high-level institutions and more and more prominent positions in societies. The consequences of this need to work brings with it many other secondary effects such as neglect, abuse, and family dysfunctions because many people live to work as others work to live. The impact of having to work hard for everything has led many have led to many sorry, negative side effects that we continue to learn and I will only touch on one of them at this time, that is mental health. For many years, maybe since the beginning of time, humanity did not consider mental health as a topic worth looking into. People simply existed, carried with them many stigmas and dealt, dealt to their best abilities with the cards that were handed. When you hear the words mental health, what comes to your mind? What other words stem from these two words? What image do you create in your mind? What do you know about mental health? If we're to be honest with ourselves, we know very little and all of us, bar none, suffer silently in one way or another. Our mental health determines every aspect of who we are and how we view the world, but we spend very little time, if any, thinking about improving it. For example, the employee who works 60 plus hours every week, day in and day out, because they have because they have to, may loathe their position, hate their co-workers, hate their commute, despise their work policies and so on and so forth, and yet feel as they must report to work each and every day. Quite honestly, this is but one reason many result in self-medicating and turn to harmful habits and addictions in order to find some solace. People feel trapped in their jobs, devalued, replaceable, and expendable, and in some sense, they are completely right. There are so many stories of company employees after being with the same companies for the majority of their lives from youth are suddenly let go off just because just just before retirement due to shortage of work or restructuring or bankruptcy 
and so on and so forth, leave the individual feeling totally useless after giving their very best years to their work. Adam's curse plays out in com in comedies, dramatic stories, action movies, in music, poetry, etc., etc. We work hard at working hard, and in our day and age where self-help are buzzwords that pretty much dominate our literature, shows, and trends in social media, we are all told to pull up ourselves by our bootstraps along with an endless amount of purchasable advice. We are told that our bodies create and release certain chemicals in reaction to our emotions and ladies and gentlemen, we can say that the stress hormones reserves have been depleted time and again since Adam's time and throughout the generations as we continue scratching the ground for a living. Take some time, no matter what your schedule looks like, and observe the men and women around you. Pastor it with yourself. Take note of how much everyone works. Speak to rel relatives, colleagues, and even complete strangers where you bump shoulders with them. You will conclude, I am convinced, that the curse placed on Adam is in fact in all of us, men and women alike. You will see that more than a third of our lives is spent on work that at the end of the day, most of it is totally and absolutely meaningless. This rat race we find ourselves in locks us up in a cycle that carries us from the cradle to the grave. Now that you've depressed us, is there any good news of encouragement? Someone may ask, and there is. As we continue reading the scriptures, you will come to understand who God is in your life. Yes, there must be consequences for our actions, but the love that God has for each of us nullifies those consequences but we must be obedient. If we decide that we know better than the one who created us, then lo and behold, the curse of Adam and Eve will continue to influence every man, woman, and child to ever exist in our world. It is good and indeed blessed to work hard and then be able to sit down, drink, and enjoy the fruits of your labor. It is foolish, however, to be constantly surrounded by joy and happiness because bad experiences are inevitable and we must prepare our minds and circumstances accordingly. For me, I have found that my faith has been able to carry me through the toughest seasons of my life and I am truly grateful for that. Complete dependence on money or resources to buffer us from the pain inherited from our ancestral parents does not leave us ready for what life will bring to us in the form of challenges. But faith protects us whether we have much or little, whether rich or poor, whether well-fed or hungry, whether partying or mourning, faith helps us endure through all circumstances. Heavenly Father, May we truly know of your love for us, even as we consider the love we have for our parents, our children, our friends, our family, our pets, and so on and so forth. Please help us secure real faith that would give us hope under all circumstances and keep our hearts moldable and full of love. May we understand that you are a God of love and therefore second chances and beyond are in your nature for those willing to repent and turn away from their evil ways. 
Continue revealing to us who you are as well as what it means to be a Christian. In your holy name, Amen. I love you all, but God loves you much, much more. See you next time.